Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cheese and pickle. Hello, this is Comfort Blanket and I'm Joel Morris. I'm going to be talking to someone who makes cool stuff that I like. I'm going to talk to them about some warm stuff that they like. A book or a TV show or a record or a film that they find comforting and they return to again and again whenever they need to feel better. Um, we'll have a natter about it and see if we can work out just what is so magical about it and what makes them want to keep going back to it. This episode was recorded live at the London Podcast Festival. It features the comedian and writer Izzy Sutty. She'll be talking about the film Grease. What did you do this summer, Sandy? Oh, I spent most of it at the beach. I met a boy there. Hauled your cookies all the way to the beach for some guy? Well, he was sort of special. There ain't no such thing. He was really romantic. Oh, come on. You don't want to hear all the horny details. Are you kidding me? Summer loving had me a blast. Summer loving happened so fast. I met a girl crazy for me. Met a boy cute as for me. Summer days drifting away to another summer night. Hello. Hello. What have you chosen as your comfort blanket? I have chosen the film Grease. Brilliant. This is very good because you, you suggested a couple of things and as soon as you said Grease, I went, we have to do Grease. Yeah, what were the other things I suggested? I think you suggested Dirty Dancing. Yes. And Dirty Dancing I only saw when I was an adult, which I think is a completely different experience if I'd seen it as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. But Grease, I think, is a shared childhood thing and a cultural artifact that, we, that most of us share. I thought it'd be a lovely thing to talk about. So when did you first encounter Greece? So I remember that the first time I watched it, I was a bit too young to understand. And I'm going to assume that everyone here's seen Greece. Okay. Yeah. Is it possible um, to not have seen? Is it possible? Because I'm, I'm saying to, to have seen Greece, not in order, but you must have seen bits of it. It's, it's culturally ambient. You definitely are aware of it. Yes, it's a bit like Star- I have never seen, and this is actually a radio series, isn't yeah. it? But I have never seen Star Wars. Right. Um, and I think if we were married, my partner would divorce me for that reason <laughs> um, because he can't believe that I haven't seen Star Wars. But I've seen the bits of it yeah. that everyone knows. And I think Greece is sometimes a bit like that. Where yeah. People go, oh, yes, some are loving. But yeah. I challenged a friend of mine who's a big football fan. I said, I'm really get really fed up that I'm meant to understand a bit of, I don't know football, a bit of football, and it's not required of other people to understand sci-fi. And he went, I know what the TARDIS is. 
And I went, yeah, yeah, there are assumptions, cultural assumptions that you are not ignorant of Darth Vader and Summer Loving. Yes. That, that is just to be, to participate in our culture. There are certain things, even if you've not seen the artifact, you need to know that there's a robot in it called R2-D2 and there's a guy with a quiff yes. who sings. And if you saw it in a pub quiz, you'd go, that's Luke Skywalker or whatever. And that's Sandy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the first time I saw it, I was a bit too young. I think I was about 10. And my parents were going out, which they hardly Ooh. ever did. My dad didn't really like going out. Um, but they were. They were going out and they were dressed up. And we had a babysitter. And as my parents were leaving, Grease came on the telly. Oh, perfect. I know. And mum said, oh, that's one of my favourite films. It's brilliant. So you had permission? I did, but I only watched the beginning of it and then I had to go to bed. So it was like this thing, it was like an enticing thing. This is the main brain, Vince Fontaine, beginning your day with the only way. Music, music, music. Get out of bed, it's the first day of school. Don't be a slob, don't get a job, go back to class, you can pass. And to start the day off nice and fine, I'm going to play a new old favourite of mine. I'd seen the beginning, I'd seen that brilliant opening with the cartoon everything's animated which i'd forgotten until i rewatched it when i had covid in april and i'd seen the bit with danny and sandy on the beach and then reasonably soon after that i had to go to bed so it remained this yeah there's something very magical i was talking to one of my oldest school friends about this said could my child is now old enough for me to leave them i've left them tonight and i remember being just old enough to be left behind and the excitement was that you'd look through the radio times or through the listings in the local paper what films on tonight while my parents are out, that I can watch and then lie to them that I watched, that I didn't watch, <laughs> yeah. rather. So you got a feeling of there was no, that no supervision, no adult supervision. You're either with a babysitter. As, when I was a babysitter, I used to deliberately take around scary films to watch with the kids. I was babysitting because they felt I was the cool babysitter that way. Yes. Because when mum and dad are out, you can watch things that are a bit too old for you. You can. You need a baby. You need a cool babysitter rather than an old lady. Yeah. From church, which Another, is what I sometimes had. <laughs> Another teenager or t- someone to look up to who will watch it with you. Yes, so, exactly. So yes, yeah, so that didn't happen. I got put to bed that right. time, and I agree that should have happened. And if this was the film version of me watching Greece, the babysitter would have let me watch the full lot. Right. But she was probably a bit older and went, "No, I don't think this is suitable." So it's about teenage and rebellion already. This yeah. is this is thematically strong. Yes. <laughs> um, so and, and I thought it was set in Greece, the country, <laughs> because mum said, oh, this is a brilliant film. It's called Greece. And I heard G-R-E-C-E. And there's a sunset on a there's beach. There's a sunset. They're on a beach. It's like Mamma Mia. Absolutely. Which, of course, is the film that beat it to be the most successful Hollywood musical of all time in the box. It got beaten by Mamma Mia. It's the same fantasy of of people watching it, thinking it's about Greece. I think it, I think it picks up a lot of viewers that way. Yes. <laughs> um, so and then I realised, only realised when I actually watched it properly that it wasn't a, a set in Greece. That's a very important thing as well. I think as well that maybe kids don't get now that everything's available on demand. Is very often you'd watch the beginning of something, then it'd be bedtime, and sometimes those are the films that really stay with you. I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed by The Wicker Man which is a film I watched the beginning of as a teenager, and then it wasn't on for 10 years, so I had 10 years waiting to find out what happened. And that feeling of going, oh my God, I can't wait for episode two, that's in 10 years. It's a thing that binge-watching generation don't have. So you watched the beginning of The Wicker Man, but then it wasn't shown on TV for another yeah. 10 years. Yeah, and I can imagine you scouring the listings yeah. and not, because you couldn't have bought it on VHS. So there's a forbidden thing where mm. you watch the beginning of Greece, and Greece definitely feels like... We'll talk about the beginning of Greece because it's a very clever beginning. 
it opens with the end of another film. Danny, don't spoil it. It's not spoiling it, Sandy. It's only making it better. Danny, is this the end? <laughs> of course not. It's only the beginning. It opens with the end of a 1950s romantic film where the boy and the girl have fallen in love and they kiss. And normally in a romantic film, you wait for the couple to kiss. But Greece starts with the kiss. You know they're in love. It's not a will they, won't they? They have. And it, end, it opens with this soaring music and this mm. beautiful shot. And you go, that's the end of another film. Yes. Um, which is a really clever idea. And the guys who, who wrote it said it was supposed to be a parody of the 1950s films where the boy changes for the girl. The girl is a good girl. The boy is a rebel. He's James Dean or something. And he learns to behave. And when he's a good boy in a 50s romance, he would learn to behave. He'd stop wearing his leather jacket and then he'd fall in love with her. And they said, we want to do the reverse. And which we all know how the film ends. It ends with the reverse of that where she becomes the bad girl. But the even cleverer thing is they start with the end of the film they're not going to make, which is that he's a lovely, lovely, trustworthy boy and they have a lovely kiss on a beach. And then, if you're 10, there's a cartoon. (laughs) And you go, this is going to be amazing. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? Were you disappointed that things that started with a cartoon weren't a cartoon all the way through? Yes. And <laughs> on the way here, my daughter, who's here, who's seven, we watched, um, I, I sort of thought I'm going to refresh my memory of the beginning. And we were on the number three bus and we watched the cartoon bit of the beginning. And she was laughing so much because it yeah. is really funny. Rizzo puts on a polo neck and her neck's really long and then she changes it and it's funny that you know the the main sort of character in the animation has a head just full of hair over his face then he has to put the grease (laughs) in his hair it's brilliant and then yeah absolutely when Sandy appears she's a Disney princess she's surrounded by yes it's like Cinderella it's very very cartoon literate and it appeals to a generation who were brought up on cartoons and it says here are the cartoon characters by the time you get to the end of that title sequence you know who all the characters are it's a really clever thing um, and I don't think it was someone I heard said it was animated by, but the rights to Greece when it was a stage musical were bought by Ralph Bakshi. And Ralph Bakshi is a very, very famous animator. Uh, and he did, uh, he did the animated Lord of the Rings that came out in 1978. That was the first version of that. But most famously, he worked on the Spider-Man, 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 version of Spider-Man. And he did Fritz the Cat. He was an underground animator. Uh, and he lost the rights. But there are, I think he did work on the titles for it. So the titles are basically, he was going to do an animated Grease. So it was originally just going to be a cartoon. Uh, so it opens up with this cartoon, the same way as the Pink Panther films did when I was a kid. Yeah. They would open up with a cartoon and you go, oh, I'm already laughing. So you're right in the mood. And it's exactly what kids want. Because you're watching a grown-up yes. film, but they gave you a cartoon to start with. Well, it's like a starter, isn't it? It's the bridge <laughs> between... Uh, not watching something and watching something that perhaps you're not supposed yeah. to. It's yeah, it's the kind of sweetener. It lets before. you in. Yeah, but they used to do that uh, when you went to the Saturday morning pictures and things. Sometimes they show a cartoon before the main. They would. Picture. I quite like that. Yeah, I, we do sometimes do that with when we watch um, a very hard hitting thing like The Killing or something. Afterwards, you watch an episode of Seinfeld as a kind of pudding because <laughs> it's been so, you know, to kind of so you don't go to bed, just it's, go. Oh. It's the ice cream after the very, very hot Indian meal. Absolutely. That yeah. out. I've just been reminded of when I bought my parents the um, Simpsons, the movie on DVD and they didn't understand how to work the DVD player. And they watched, you know, like so none of us watch DVDs anymore. But do you remember it when you had just the hold? It was like essentially holding loop. 
where um, they sort of be about like a 10 second thing that would repeat and then you could choose play movie watch and they thought that that was the film I mean, that, it's avant-garde. Yeah. But there's a, there's a feeling that about Grease. It opens up with this thing. It introduces all the characters. They're big cartoon characters. And by the end of it, you felt like you've watched something uh, comprehensible to a kid. Yeah. And I think this is where we're going to hit something that I think is very important about Grease. And I'm going to make an allegory with the film you haven't seen from almost the same year, which is Star Wars, is I think for a lot of people, it's the most grown-up film they've seen when they were a kid. And I think that film, whatever that film is, whether it's Jaws, if you're a bit older than us, or Butch Casting the Sundance Kid if you're a bit older than that, or Grease, or Dirty Dancing. Or if you see a grown-up film when you're a kid, it's really precious to you. And I remember feeling that about, about the films I watched when I was between sort of seven and ten, that you were yeah. allowed to stay up for and watch. I think you're right. I think Dirty Dancing is more unsuitable than Grease. Yeah. Like, I feel like Grease has got, Grease has got adult themes in it, like Dirty Dancing has, but... There's a kind of joyful, cartoony quality to Greece, um, and songs like "Summer Loving," and you just remember all the songs. Whereas "Dirty Dancing" yeah. is a similar story, really. Isn't yes, it? they've got, they've got a lot in common. They're all about adulthood. Yeah, and I think that what they've got in common is that they are a view of adulthood from outside, as in they're yeah. very, very precious to you if you're about to become an adult, if you're a preteen. You'll watch this and there's a feeling of, with Greece especially, the package is slick as hell. Every critic who didn't like Greece when it came out said this is a very packaged, marketed thing. It's got the guy from Saturday Night Fever in it. There was a hit single before it. The hit single was in the charts at the moment Greece was top of the film okay. box office. That had never happened. That's what you're going to happen in the future with Back to the Future and Ghostbusters, that the hit single will be in the charts when the film's out, advertising it. It was marketed. Uh, the guy who... The guy who wrote it, uh, Jim Jacobs, who wrote the original thing, was an ad copywriter. These people are from advertising. They know how to sell things. It's a very sold package. But what it's saying is, this is adulthood. And weirdly with Greece, you go, you can let the kids watch it. And you watch it now, especially if you watch it on DVD and you grew up with it on ITV. Cut. It's filthy. So what you guys think this is, a gangbang? You wish. Absolutely filthy. Oh, you know that ain't the shit where they get licensed in and you let kids watch it because it looked really approachable. You know that I ain't bragging, she's a real pussy wagon. Exactly, because it was, it was like when I did Edinburgh in 2008, um, uh, my second stand-up show, I had a very bright pink poster and I was on at 2.45 in the afternoon <laughs> in the Pleasance Courtyard and I had a guitar and I looked a bit like a children's entertainer. <laughs> so loads of people brought kids to the show. And I was just kind of like, this isn't a children's show. And in a similar way with yeah. Greece, it kind of looks very technicolour, it's very... As you say, it's quite glossy. Yeah. But actually, there are some really kind of hard-hitting moments in it. What is with you tonight? I feel like a defective typewriter. Huh? I skipped a period. You think you're peachy? I don't know, big deal. Pussy No, you don't know the guy. Well, the original, the source material for Greece, it's a play. It started out as a, as a Chicago sort of hard-hitting musical. It's meant to run for two weeks, and it just took a lot of a life of its own, and it's got that in common with something like Rocky Horror Show. It's meant to be a short okay. run little sort of avant-garde weird thing and it was about the memories of the people who wrote it and their memories of growing up in tough chicago high school and this greaser subculture now i didn't know this until on the way here i don't know if any of you know this but it's a bit that this is this there's an actual subculture wasn't it greasers, the greasers yeah 
And I had absolutely no idea about that. Because you thought so it was a country. Presumably they so, wanted yeah. to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you thought about but, the ancient uh, Greeks. People, it's an old name for people from Greece. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, would they, would they want to write that about that as well, do yeah, you think? Yeah, they were writing about that. And what it's got, I started writing down things it reminded me of. And the, the one that no one ever says is it's West Side Story. It's about gangs and about rival gangs. And it was originally had a racial element, as in the, 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 the T-Birds are very sort of just white. A lot of them are Italian in this one. But in the original one, they're all Polish. They're all poor Polish, which is what a lot of the gang in West Side Story are. The, the, oh, I'm going to do it. Which one is it? Jets or the Sharks? Whichever, whichever one Tony's in, is um, they are uh, Polish-American. And there's, she was supposed to be Sandy Dombowski rather than Sandy Olsen. Oh, shit. So yeah. do you she's, mean she's that in Polish. the musical that was the case? Then yeah. they changed and it then for... A lot of it changed when it went to... Because obviously it changed hugely when it became a screenplay. They put so, extra songs in it, took stuff out. But one of the things they did change is they made it a lot more slick. And they took a lot of that sort of grittiness out of it. But the thing that's fascinating, watching it again, and remembering it as a thing that is now a karaoke standard, kids do it, kids put it on at a wedding and kids dance to it, is that it's still got all that grit in it. And watch on the DVD without the cuts and all the bad language and the implications and the way the characters talk to each other is gritty and teenage. What's that, Zook? You looking good, Riz. Eat your heart out. Well, sloppy seconds ain't my style. Where are you going, to flog your log? And I think there's an element as well they're trying to say there was a fetishization of the 50s that builds up during the 70s in America. And it ends up with the absolute, the, it never occurred to me before, what, what happens at the end of the 70s? They elect a 50s film star. They elect Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan comes and goes, I'll take you back to the 50s. And Greece is a way of saying, hey, the 50s were quite rough. They were full of gangs. But the, it does make the 50s look quite cool. As yeah. Well. <laughs> we all want to go back. No matter how much dirt they put in it, you go, I want to go there. I want to be a pink lady. It looks great, doesn't it? The, the styling. Yeah, look, I'm just... wearing it. Actually, this is, I did not do this on purpose. We've just moved house and I've literally rotating four outfits. I should but... have just picked up a leather jacket on the way. I feel <laughs> I've underdressed. We should fancy dress this. But it, does, it makes it look great and it makes it sound great and it makes you want to go there. Twinkies and wine? Oh, that's real class, Jan. It says right here, it is a dessert wine. Hey. Sandy didn't get any wine. Oh, that's okay. Bet you never had a drink before, either. Oh, yes, I did. I had some champagne at my cousin's wedding once. Ooh, ring-a-ding-ding. What's wrong? We don't got cooties. What's fascinating about the nostalgia in this, though, is there's a connection to American graffiti and happy days. Uh, I'm going to do this. The guy directed this is Randall Kleiser. Randall Kleiser was an ex-housemate of George Lucas. They used to share a flat. And this is the enfant terrible, these new filmmakers. And George Lucas is making American Graffiti in about 73, which is all about nostalgia for the hot rod culture and rock and roll of brilliantly 11 years earlier. So it's a bit like being nostalgic for Taylor Swift. Yeah. It's something that now you'd go, but that was five minutes ago, but massively nostalgic for early rock and roll. He's making that. Uh, and there's a pilot being made for a thing called Happy Days, which is similarly about nostalgia for the 50s. So it's a big movement that's feeling like we're going to get... The people are of that age, they're coming of age, and they're going, oh, I remember 10 years ago was amazing. Let's make, let's fetishize that. Uh, the pilot for Happy Days doesn't get picked up, but it's got a guy called Ron Howard in it. Ron Howard is spotted by George Lucas in the pilot. And he's brilliant. Cast him in American Graffiti. American Graffiti is a massive hit. And then they get Ron Howard in to do a spin-off, basically, from American Graffiti, which is Happy Days, the, the TV show, set in the 50s. And then they say, well, we'll do Greece. They buy the rights for Greece, and they try and get the guy to be Danny, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, 
is the first person who gets offered it. Fonz? Hey, yeah. That's amazing, because I think it's really easy to get them mixed up, isn't it? Totally. I, I mean, think I thought they were the same person. Yeah, when I was... as a kid, same here. And the deal is, he's the Fonz. But Henry Winkler said, I don't want to just be that, that greaser. Sure. But the culture's just full of these people. And I think as a kid, they were cartoon characters. The Fonz became a cartoon character. Hannah Barbera did him as a cartoon. These are lovely cartoon characters. As a kid, that's massively appealing. Who's the cool guy in the leather jacket with the quiff? It's either the guy from Greece or it's the guy. It all blurs together. And then the extra blurring, of course, is because Travolta is six months earlier in Saturday Night Fever. He's the guy, he's the dancer guy. And I got him mixed up. I thought Saturday Night Fever was set in the 50s as well. Yes. As a kid, it's all one mass of cool and you suddenly want to be part of it. <laughs> well, that's cool, baby. Yeah, you're right. It's true. It makes, it does make it look cool. It, and we did it at school. We did Greece at school. And I think, and we all were so excited to do Greece because wow. we wanted to be like those characters. And I was Jan. And Jan has a much bigger part in the stage musical than she has a, a, a duet. I don't, I don't want you to um, be pushed aside. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> she has a jet about mooning, um, oh. mooning over you. But obviously it's got kind of a double meaning of... For when they show um, their bums to the TV cameras. Absolutely. Where they do blue yeah. moon in yeah. the actual film. <laughs> yeah. um, and... I think the stage version we did at school must have been different from the original stage yeah. version. They must have done a kind of school-friendly... It kept changing. Each version updates. They put in songs from the, t- from the film. It's constantly moving. The original stage version is, is gritty and odd, but it gets changed a lot. I'd love to see the original stage version now, just now, to see... I've heard people say you can't get it, but if you look up on YouTube, there are soundtrack recordings from the 1972 version. Well, uh, I've been spending a lot of time hanging around down the beach. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. All right, all right, you guys. Hey, you want to know what happened? Are you kidding yeah, me? come on. Oh, all right. And here's another great connection. Uh, the guy who played Danny in the original, in the 1972 version, is Barry Bostwick, who ended up in Spin City as the mayor. But he's also, he's Brad in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I think there's a link with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, this nostalgia for trash that suddenly comes in in the 70s and is related probably tangentially to things like Ziggy Stardust, Mark Bolan, that rock and roll, the rock and roll revival act, which is what Shanana, the band who, who are the, the house band in Greece, who perform at the dance. There's this sort of revivalism and this thing of going, let's look back at the 50s and see what we make of it. And what's interesting about the response to Greece when it comes out is that the critics are very, very, very harsh on it. And they go, this is shit. It's glossy. It's inauthentic. And the problem is the critics lived through the 50s. They're older, but it's made by 30-year-olds and 20-year-olds whose older brothers and sisters live through the 50s. And I think it's them saying, can we have a go? Can we dress up? It's a kind of bootleg Beatles thing. I want to be in the Beatles. Yeah. I want to be in a rock and roll. And it's just, there's a wish fulfillment in it. Everyone making it wants to go back in time, but not to a time they lived through, to a time they watched their brothers and cousins and mums and dads go through. Yeah. It's yearning. Greece is full of yearning. Wonder what she's doing Summer dreams ripped at seas But the Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I watched it when I had COVID, which was in April. And I never, ever watch or read anything twice wow. generally like I'm not one of those people who who goes oh you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on that episode of the like my favorite sitcom ever is the American office and I've watched maybe one episode twice but I can't even was that by mistake <laughs> yes <And laughs> I've like, seen, this, I've one. seen oh. this already I know <laughs> what <laughs> happens yeah <laughs> wasting the precious time on earth <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I just don't and my favorite book is the majors by John Fowles and I tried to read it again and I so wanted to and I was like I know what happens. I don't want, it, it's still ridiculous. I need to, but, but Greece is the, Greece and Dirty Dancing actually are the only films and, and The Wicker Man, but to a slightly lesser extent, and I won't bring myself to watch the remake, no. uh, the only films that I can ever. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's what you, you used to do a whole podcast about the remake, the remake of The Wicker Man. I can happily do that. I've seen it, I've seen it nearly as many times as the original. It's incredible. Sorry, actually, I do, I do want to watch the remake. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Grease and Dirty Dancing are the only, only films that I will go back to. Wow. And I watch Dirty Dancing on my birthday every year for, for a while. And when I saw that Grease was available on um, whatever, all four, oddly, not Netflix, yeah. when I was ill with COVID, I was like, I've got to watch Grease. And I was like, am I really going to sit through a whole thing that I've already seen? And I, and I did. Um, but the thing that... So watching it again, and now that I write... Um, I don't know when the last time I watched it. it might have actually been 10 years ago. I'm 44. You know, I still think of myself as in my early 30s and think, oh, that must have been when I was 21. I, it, it could easily have been 10 years since I've seen Greece, right? I, th- I think I watched it this morning and it was, I would reckon, 20 years. Yeah. It? Yeah. I mean, it feels like not like that. Yeah. It's, it, fr- but... it's fresh enough that I always think I watched it last week. Of course. I only realised yeah. when I worked it out, I went, it's years it, since I It's got this. to be, hasn't it? It's, it's years ago. But what I realised watching it this time, now I know more about writing and structure and things like that. At the, the very first line she says is loads of exposition, isn't it? I'm going back to Australia. I might never see you again. Don't, don't talk that way, Sandy. But it's true. I've just had the best summer of my life and now I have to go away. I was thinking, it's a terrific pub quiz question. Which well-loved film opens with the line, I'm going to have to go back to Australia. <laughs> And it's great because she's all blonde and perfect and she looks great. And I just immediately thought, oh, and it's got that lovely sort of, sort of cheesy sunset. And I went, yeah. this is so Neighbours. And she is, I mean, to fact, she's, she's the beta test of Kylie, Olivia Newton-John. She is so perky and so uh, beach bunny, Australian. Uh, she was such a big pop star at the time because she encapsulates all that 
enthusiasm and life and new worldness and things. Uh, yes, yeah, so she's got a is, bounce to her. She's it, and it it, yeah, and it dumps this huge chunk of exposition because otherwise you're going, what is she doing here? Yeah, and the answer is she's the biggest pop star in the world, so she's in it because of marketing. Yeah. <laughs> but beautifully, that first line, that big dump of exposition, says she's an outsider. Yeah, and I was thinking about that this morning, thinking if she's Sandy Dumbovsky, she's inside. What's fascinating about her is that she is, there's these two gangs and she's off to one side, which makes her incredibly sympathetic. And also it's the classic thing of you meet them all as she meets them all. Yes. May I help you, dear? Oh, yes, this is my first day of school. I'm not really sure where I'm supposed to be. Oh, well, welcome to Rydell. So it doesn't feel like they're like, hi, I'm Rizzo. You're going in with her to a new school and you're kind of yeah. feeling the things that she's feeling. And that's quite a common thing, isn't it? That first episode of a sitcom is often a person on their first day at a job or something. My favourite so. one of those Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is just, they literally point to each person at each desk and tells you who they are. And I'm yeah. like, this is so brilliant. Oh, it's fine. Um, yeah. And I love that about this. I was, tr- I was quite hard to imagine a Greece with an insider Sandy. Whereas yes. she'd have to be a super, super good girl to be an outsider, which would make her less sympathetic. I like the fact that she's excluded by the fact she's a new girl at school. And you go, well, we've all felt like that. The first person in a new job or... A, a new flat share or a new school we've all felt like that outsider there's a beautiful shot when they're having the race along thunder road where all the gang are there for for the race, the car race and she's just up on the the side on the concrete on her own in that beautiful pink dress and it's just a beautiful shot that says she's outside she's away and it's there's no explanation almost for why she suddenly does the makeover at the end except that shot of her outside them and you go I can read that. It's a very clear bit of direction and a really clear bit of writing. All the way through, you know she's an outsider because she's an Australian. It's lovely. Sandy! Danny? What are you, what are you doing here? I, I thought you were going back to Australia. We had a change of plan. And I think it's not only because she's an Australian. I think it's because she's so different from all of them, isn't she? She yeah. looks different in the sense that she dresses in kind of swishy dresses and looks like she's just had a shower and a lot of them just are kind of a bit more greasy looking, I suppose. This goody two-shoes makes me want to box. So you get that visual difference as well. And she's the other she's side so, of the 50s. She's, that, yeah. that song, the wonderful Stockard Chain song, Look At Me, I'm Sandra D," is a list of, now almost forgotten, meant nothing to you as a kid, 50s icons. As for you, Troy Donna, you And the 50s icons that would be referred to by the conservative movement that would be headed by Ronald Reagan are housewife, Doris Day, cupcake, that kind of, those kind of Gingham, Stepford wives value. Watch it. Hey, I'm Doris Day. I was not brought up that way. And it's fascinating that for a 50s nostalgia film, Back to the Future is full of that archetype. In this version, she's the only one. Everyone else is scum. <laughs> how you hear those references in something you love and you don't question it especially no. as a kid they're just the lyrics to the song and you yeah like a little shop of horrors another yeah. another film that i love um you know they reference loads of movies and and, and <laughs> betty crocker i cook like betty crocker and i look like Donna Reed. 
didn't know who that was. It's like, that's the lyric to the song. That like, vast list of old movies that, that make up all the lyrics for Rocky Horror. And you go, I know I know all those films. No, you don't. You've not seen any of them. I know. And I really got hot when I saw Jeanette Scott fight a triffid that spits poison and kills. It's, a, it's part of that thing of, that you get when you're a, a kid where you're hungry for data. You're hungry for things that older kids are into. And it doesn't matter if those older kids are 35-year-old actors playing teenagers in a 50s spoof. You want to know what they know. You, you grab that culture. They are like your older cousins, your older sibling. Look at me, I'm Sandra D. Lousy with virginity. Won't go to bed till I'm legally wed. I can't, I'm Sandra D. And also, I think it's only as we get older that we go... Oh my God, they're playing school children and they're... Oh. Who was the oldest one? I think Rizzo is the oldest. Rizzo's, I've, got no, I've got ages here. John Travolta is 23. Olivia Newton-John is 29. Stockard Channing, Rizzo's 33. Jeff Conaway, uh, Kanicki is 27. Diddy Con, who plays Frenchie, is 26. Uh, and Kleiser, the director, uh, Randall Kleiser, insisted on what he called a crow's feet test before he, he cast anybody. And he got them up close and said, smile. And if you can see crow's feet, they couldn't be in it. And uh, Olivia Newton-John <laughs> Newton was a lot of soft focus. But I think it's a game they're playing. I think it's funny. People sort of say, oh, they're all too old. And you went, yeah, they know. There is Characters. a slight knowing element throughout it. Yeah. I've got Kanicki again. He's been here longer than I have. And I think that's why you forgive the, you know, I've got it. I'm going back. What did she say? The very first line. I've got to go back to Australia. I've got to go back to Australia. I've got to go back to Australia. You just, for, you know, where, where does that come if, from? If you read a script and the first line was, I've got to go back, you'd go say that in more of an elegant way. You yeah. can but you don't care. You're like, yes, this is the beginning of Greece. And this is also, he would know that she had to go back to Australia. Yeah. If they've spent the whole summer <laughs> together, why would she wait until their very last day to be like, I've got to go back to Australia. She would have been saying it the whole time. It's a complete happy wedding day, sis, of a line. You know that line, happy wedding day, sis, is the line in which all the data would already be known by the person you're delivering it to. It's the worst line you can write. Happy wedding day, sis. She knows all those things. Um, yes, and it says so much. <laughs> that in, it's like Jesus wept. Is, is that the yeah. shortest, that's four words, is that the shortest, most expositionary line that can exist? Happy wedding day, sis. Yeah, that's too much exposition that is unnecessary. The other one is the most expensive stage direction of all time. The fleets meet. Um, <laughs> which they um, keep doing in Star Wars. However, um, I asked Betty, who's yeah. seven, how old she thought they all were. Yeah. And she said that they looked 15. Well, this is it. I think the trick for this, again, is a lot of the criticism that is levelled at Greece comes from old people yes. looking for reasons to spoil children's fun. And I'm a big advocate for this, that there are a lot of films that are really beloved by children. When you see them, when you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you ask no questions. And they're reviewed constantly by 50-year-old cynical people who go, I can see they're too old. And you went, I tell you who can't see that, the target audience. And my favourite example of this, which there are similarities with as a much-loved film from about the same time, which is Bugsy Malone. And Bugsy Malone's a film that is, to my generation, massively important. I can sing every note of it. I think it's a beautiful, wonderful film. And I think, as it Leslie Halliwell's review of it said, it is not clear who this film is for. And you want to go, it's for me. It's for me. It's for a small child to look at it and look at adulthood through the eyes both of a bunch of 33-year-olds playing a vague memory of what they imagined the 50s was like 
but also through the eyes of a child looking up and going, is that going to happen to me? There's a feeling of any high school movie or any movie about teenage relationships, pregnancy, sex. You look at it. If you're allowed to watch it when you're about 10, you're hungry for information. Is this what it's going to be like at school? Somebody snaking you, Danny? I'll bite the weenie, Riz. Relish. What's interesting is, if we saw Greece for the first time now, would it be the same? Would it have that charm? Or is it is the reason we like these films, and I'm sure that a lot of you are here because of the nostalgia yeah. of encountering Greece when you were younger, would we view those films in the, through the same lens if we saw them for the first time now? Or wouldn't, we maybe wouldn't have so much of an emotional connection because we wouldn't yeah. aren't as young? I think they catch you unawares. And the big giveaway, I think, is for these films, which are massively important and comforting for generations, generationally, unarguably iconic films. And you'll say, they're talking, therefore, about, I don't know, uh, Star Wars and Grease and Dirty Dancing and uh, Ghostbusters. Is there anyone outside the demographic who are exactly the right age for it goes, you know, they're a bit clunky. If you're two years too old for Star Wars, it's the most inexplicable phenomenon that's ever come out. Yeah, I can see it's rubbish. And if you watch it for the first time as an adult, you go, what was all the fuss about? And I think there's so much about this, which is to do with the eyes through which you first saw it. And I think what's exciting for me, watching something like Grease again as a as a grown adult and saying, well, what did I see in this? Because I loved it. Um, and I loved it partly because my older cousins loved it. So I went, oh, I can be like them. They were obsessed by it. So I went, oh, well, this is the thing we're going to be into this year. We go, you always bump into someone who wants to play you Greece or play the soundtrack or something. And I think it said, this is for grown-ups. And the irony is, it's not for grown-ups. Because I can, I can show you a 1950s nostalgic film for grown-ups. is American Graffiti. And no one re-watches that. It's a great film that no one rewatches anymore because it's made by and for grown-ups. It's authentic. It's real. It's sort of a coppola school of kind of... But no one remembers that like they remember Greece with the fondness, the generational fondness of Greece. Greece's child's eye view of adulthood is really persuasive. And it lasts, I think. I don't know about these chicks. Yeah, they're only good for one thing. Then what are you supposed to do with them for the other 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day? <laughs> Is that all it takes, 15 minutes? I think the crucial thing about Greece is it has such warmth in it. Yes. So Frenchie, who isn't in it loads and loads, the one with the pink hair, is an incredibly warm and giving character and she is always lovely to Sandy. She's Sandy's way in. And I was watching her. She's played by Diddy, Diddy Con. Uh, Diddy Con, who is 26. Um, she's played by Diddy Con and you follow her and you watch her. And I was thinking that the casting of this is so beautiful. It's a lot of very good faces. Faces you like, eyes you like, and you watch eye lines. You watch how it's not just there with the chemistry of the leads. When they look at each other, I really think they love, they love each other. They like each other. But Diddy Con's the way she looks at Sandy. She's so defensive of her. She's so caring that you go, especially as a kid, you go, oh, she's safe. I like her. Yeah. Frenchie's going to look after Sandy. Sandy, men are rats. Listen to me. They're, they're fleas on rats. And as a kid who's probably been to school and been scared, you know how Sandy feels. And as soon as Frenchie turns up, you go, Frenchie's embedded in the pink ladies. So she's got someone on her side. Yeah. And there's a lot of rough kids in this. And Frenchie being so soft, I think really helps. You know what you need? What? A night out with the girls. Huh? We're having a sleepover at my house tonight. Wanna come? Good. You'll love. Come yeah. On. 
Did you find as well as a kid, because I found watching it again today, that how much it would be important to me as a little kid watching this, that all the tough kids in it were idiots? Yes, absolutely. They are. They're kind of real buffoons, aren't they? Yeah. There's some basic clowning going on there, really. I think the race is the only... I was a bit scared of... um, uh, Cha Cha and her 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 boyfriend. The guy, it. the guy with the acne scars. Yes, he's great. <laughs> he's amazing. It's amazingly cast. Um, and Cha Cha, who I think is fifty eight, she's definitely someone's auntie. <laughs> <laughs> it's got that strange thing where if anyone is dressed up to the nines in a brassy way from the past, they're dressed like a just like the landlady of your local pub because you go, oh, that's where she got her style from. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weird. She's dressed fifties brassy, and she, you go, she's someone's nan. <laughs> Um, she also looked like she could be from Westworld. Yeah. Again, like, she's a fantastic... Gonna... <laughs> she, she's definitely... The piano stops and she yeah. turns around when you go into the saloon. She's, she's a terrific performer. Oh, but, yeah. but again, she is frightening. She is definitely... She's fast. She's, she's frightening. Dangerous. And those two uh, are from another world again. And they're, they're like the people from the other school who are a yeah. bit older who you see on the way home and kind of go... Oh, and it makes the naughty people from your school look like your <laughs> friends because you go, oh, I don't want, you know, those people are really scary. And the race is the only bit where I, I didn't, I think as a child, as a child, yeah, essentially I was a child probably when I first watched it, probably, probably 14, 15. Yeah. I didn't like that bit because I thought someone could die. It's like been, it seems. It's been playful till then. That, that's the great thing. There's that, that race scene, which is a standard thing. It's, it's in Rebel Without a Cause, I think. It's certainly in Beat Girl, the Adam Faith film, where it's the most British version of it possible in, uh, in, uh, in crap British cars. But it's a standard thing. There'll be a race, a chicken, a dare race. And they're really scary to kids because you know, you've been told by your parents how dangerous a car is. And it's a thing that kids who are 17 can drive. That It's an older kid's thing to be behind the wheel of a car. Um, but you're right, they play a game with the bad kids, is you're supposed to think that these kids, the T-Birds and the Pink Ladies are bad, but you know they're all faking it. Because the theme of the whole film is that Danny is faking it. That when you first saw Danny, he was a nice guy. And John Travolta's thoroughly charming, and you believe he's a nice guy. Generally, the people who were on set with him said he was nice. You he do like believe it. You're guy. right. You've seen his vulnerability in that first scene, haven't you? And so you know that really act, is. it's about saying, can he put an act on for his mates to be tough? Danny? <laughs> That's my name. Don't wear it out. What's the matter with you? <laughs> What's the matter with me, baby? What's the matter with you? <laughs> and I think another reason why this is a great film for kids is that everyone's felt that pull. Do you show off for your friends or do you show you're vulnerable and weak inside? What a great story to tell kids. Someone like me Out of spite or jealousy But it's really good that the bad kids in it, the, the ones who are uh, fast or slutty or violent or insolent, are all revealed to be kind of faking it. revealed to be vulnerable as well there are worse things i could do by rizzo i think it's a really important song oh so good you know but it never ever delves into their home life or why it's not i think dirty dancing is very different from greece in that sense 
Dirty Dancing has those really emotional moments, those moments where people question themselves and you don't see that in the same way in Greece. You might see a little bit behind the curtain, but then the curtain kind of goes back up again. It's just occurred to me, do you know what's not in this film? Parents. It's like peanuts. There are, there are teachers who go, wah, 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 wah. But the rebellion, the core rebellion of the 1950s was, was being insolent to authority. And in this, they kind of ignore the, the teachers. And one of the teachers helps them make grease lightning. The teachers, <laughs> yeah. they throw a custard pie at the, at the, at the, at the gym teacher and he doesn't mind. Parents are very unthreatening. It's got a lovely feeling of, I get this with, with my child. My child comes home from school and I get a feeling that what goes on at school is nothing to do with me. They're in a world of cool kids and that I am nothing to do with as an adult. And this really feels like the kind of film you'd understand as a kid because it hasn't got parental figures in it. So it's not naughty. You don't watch it and go, if your parents found you watching this, it wouldn't be about kids being insolent to parent figures it's about these kids in a world of their own yeah but there are no parent figures to be insolent to yeah it's almost like the film that kids would make if they were yeah. given a budget and told yeah. to write a film the parents they haven't thought of the parents and that feels right yeah and the teachers in it have no control or power whatsoever which no. is brilliant and they, they're kind of caught in this it's and part of them being older or this endlessness where it's not suspended in time it's one of the things that the the, the workshop teachers at the beginning with Kanicki, he's been at this school longer than I have. And you go, she says it out loud. As in like the idea that this school is a trap bubble in which magic can happen, but also you can play out all the things that worry you as a kid in a very safe environment where even the, the nasty kids are, are, are really nice underneath it. And where I love this, you talk about Rizzo's song, and there were the worst things I could do and how wonderful it is. And she had to fight to keep that song in, Stockard Channing. It was going to hit the cutting room floor. And she went, I need, you need to know who she is. She can't just be the surface. True, because you don't feel find out very much about Marty. You don't ever have that moment with Marty. No. I don't think you're allowed it with her. So there's a bit of explanation. She again, she the tough, smart mouthed, hard member of the Pink Ladies. You find out she's vulnerable, and then how does she sort out the biggest problem she's got? I love this in the script. It just stops being a problem. And it's just, it's full of these lovely things where as a scriptwriter, you go, oh, I should probably come up with some clever solution for the pregnancy story. No, she just tells people she's not pregnant anymore. <laughs> it's full of these taps that keep being turned on. You go, they're going to flood. And they go, oh, I've turned them off. But, it's so very why safe. why does that work though? And it wouldn't work with other things. Is it because it's quite cartoony and there is almost a, a kind of slight tongue in cheek element? To I the... think it's because it's meant for kids. I think you're yeah. meant to watch this when you're younger than the characters in it. So you don't notice they're old. And you don't notice any plot holes. No. Yeah. It's, it's a series of vignettes. It's a bunch of sketches. It's a bunch of very, very good sketches. It's got that in common with another film I really like that's like this, which is uh, John Waters' Hairspray, which I think it's got the same kind of feel-good energy and nostalgia and things, which is a series of terrific vignettes. Kids don't need any more than that. All it is, it's a bunch of characters who you saw in the cartoon at the beginning, and you get to find out about them one at a time, and they have a little adventure each. And one of them wants a car, and one of them wants a girl, and one of them wants to be in beauty school, and they get a song each, unless you're Kanicki, in which case your song was stolen from you by John Travolta who wanted the song oh really yeah that's which, that's, one, which song is that uh, Grease Lightning that's Jeff Conaway's oh, song wow. he was very annoyed but who's the big star yeah. who gets the car song but they get a song about what they want each I mean it's, it literally is the most simple musical form possible you sing a song about what you want and at the end and of it they get it they hooray get it. but what's happy. interesting is we're discussing the women the female characters so much more than the men so apart from Kanicki I don't really remember the names or needs of the T-Birds and two of them look they've been cast they look exactly the same I was going through which one's that one yeah. is that the Tucci or the other guy yeah yeah they're, they're very they're a gang 
But I'll tell you what it does have, which I think a lot of gang films don't have, probably only West Side Story does it quite this well, is it opens and you see both gangs. So if you're a boy watching it or a girl watching it, you can pick which gang you want to follow. And then their first song they get, they get half the song each. What a brilliant way to open. Where they both sing a song. But both gangs sing the first song together. So you get everyone introduced really yeah. quickly. And they're different worldviews and things. It's incredibly efficient songwriting and incredibly efficient writing overall. We should talk about the music as well. Because that's how a lot of people get into it. It's through the soundtrack. I mean, was yeah. this something you liked? Did you have the soundtrack? Did you have a tape or something as a kid? Or? Yeah, I think I probably did have the tape. Like, we used to sing those songs all the time. We used to sing Summer Lovin' all the time. Summer Lovin' had me a blast. And we did Grease at school when we were quite young. So we all knew the songs then. And then it was this big deal of who was going to get cast as Danny. And It's like folk music. I, I can't yeah. remember a time where I didn't know these songs. And again, when you read contemporary reviews of it one of the things they're really rude about is they go oh it's unmemorable songs and you go what planet nice. are you on these are the songs I knew from birth they're so catchy and they've got a lovely thing there was a moment watching it where I suddenly felt very very safe and it's to do with the artificiality of it is the moment they start singing that's the one I was telling you about <laughs> there are worse things I could do they're not recorded on set and they're not recorded in a way that even sounds like they're recorded on set. It's like they've been sealed in Tupperware. They are so airtight. And it's that Hollywood 70s studio recording that you hear in Bugsy Malone. And you hear in the Muppets. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? Absolutely that crisp, everyone's playing so tightly. It turned cold, that's where it is. So I told her we'd still be friends. And I find that really comforting because it's the kind of music that was given to kids at the time. It is Muppet. I was disappointed the guy who was the music producer on this has the same name as a guy who produced the Muppets. And for a minute, I thought this was a Muppet musical, but <laughs> it's not. It would have been so lovely. There yeah. are two, <laughs> there, there are I would two love to guys. see it be done as a Muppet musical. Oh, it would work perfectly. <laughs> but it's, the moment the first sort of bass line, boom, 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 and you go, oh, it sounds like the Electric Mayhem band. It's so tight. There's no air. It's absolutely safe. And, and they when they it again, and the word is safe. It's like that. Yeah, it is. And you don't, there's no kind of raw edges to it. And I know that they're depicting things that are kind of edgy, but it is presented it helps it in feel this safe. kind of wrapped up package. Yeah. And I think the songs are brilliant. I think they're really memorable. I suppose that a lot of them are in the 50s style. I've never really thought about it, but like Born to Hand Jive and stuff like that. And I, I noticed that watching it this time. And I thought there's a way of doing this where it's all pastiche. And it's all very, very 50s. And there's a very, very faithful version of this, which would be done with authentic sounding music. And a lot of the music that's come across from the musical is that. But this has been produced by Robert Stigwood, who's the Bee Gees manager. And he's just filled it full of disco, almost as if he's rushed it in because Saturday Night Fever's been a hit. And I think the story is that You're the One That I Want arrived on set on the day and none of the rest of the cast had heard it. Wow. It was rushed in and it, 
the person who wrote that song and uh, hopelessly devoted to you for Olivia Newton-John was uh, a guy called Farah, who was her songwriter. He was a pop songwriter. Uh, so those things are 70s disco-fied pop. Listen to You're the One That I Want. It sounds like a Eurovision entry. It's got an abonus to it. It's really clean. And then you realise that when you probably first heard these songs, those were the sort of songs that you've been surrounded by. Because mm. as a kid, you get ABBA, Eurovision, Europop, Disco. They're the kind of things that are played at kids' parties. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly... 70s child-friendly soundtrack. It's incredibly accessible and slick. No attempt to be dirty or, or, or raucous or even authentically 50s. No, and often the songs reveal things we don't know, which I think is good. I always yeah. think in musicals, it's a, I think sometimes they reveal things that we do know in Greece. Um, but like, you're the one I want, I suppose, is an example of that. You're, you're the one that I want. Ooh, 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 honey. The one that I want. You are the one that I want. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know, it's it's, just, it's a huge exposition dump. It's it's just yeah. data from. But it's end okay to end. by then, isn't it? Because it's the last song, and yeah. you go, it's the end, and she looks really cool, and she's got this kind of cat suit on. But I think earlier <laughs> she was stitched into. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I read that. Um, but like, look at me. I'm Sandra D. I think is one of the best songs in it, and it's quite short. But it's that song that Rizzo sings at the sleepover when they've been trying to get her to smoke, and they've pierced her ear and stuff That's like that. Such a good scene, and it's such a take of a song it's like look at me I love it it's got so much attitude and it's so funny keep your filthy paws off my silky drawers would you pull that crap with a net it's a very sarcastic set of songs really because when you get to beauty school dropout is sarcastic these songs are in the area of pastiche and parody and you get the feeling that, that they're it's meant to be the source material is a 1950s high school romance movie of which there must be many. And I'll put my hand up and say, I haven't seen any. And certainly when I was eight, 10, when I saw, I didn't know what they were parodying. No, did I. But yet you get all the jokes. You get the joke that they're being sarcastic about these songs. Um, the it's song- because they're such good songs. I mean, it's like, I love Frank Zappa and he does a lot of pastiches of <laughs> that. And I don't really know the original music, but I don't care because he's such a good songwriter and it's produced so brilliantly that you go, I sort of don't need to hear the original to know that you're taking the piss out of the, the original. Clue, the clues are in the pastiche. The pastiche is a key to open the original. You know what doo-wop's like because you've heard Beauty School Dropout. Yes. You can, you can sort of use the clues to go backwards from it. But I think, interestingly, what the film adds to that sort of do-what pastiche, that 50s pastiche, is all this disco stuff, this very 70s thing. And you're the one that I want, which is sort of the, your... It's not the final song because you've got the one last song. Oh, yes. You're the one that I want wasn't in the stage show. And you can look up on, online and, and, and hear the original song that was on there, which is called All Choked Up. Tell me about it, stud. Oh, hey, wait. Well, I... Feel so strange. And that's clearly it's a pastiche of all shook up. And it's nowhere near as good. Well, there's a fire alarm waiting in my head, and my circulation 
direct pastiche at that point. It's nowhere near as good as this sudden burst of like incredibly tight disco. Tell me about it, Stan. It's played by these incredible session musicians. I think it's the guy from Toto on bass. It's incredibly crisp Hollywood rock. Um, and it works much better because I think it puts Greece nostalgically in a place that belongs to us rather than people who are from the 50s. Because it's got that same thing as Happy Days has got. I'm watching it now, nostalgic for myself, being nostalgic for the 70s, being nostalgic <laughs> for the 50s. Yeah. So it's a general sense of yearning and dislocation not about the 50s but also i think very simply they're very energetic open warm upbeat songs yes and there's something to be said for that that if you were i remember my friend steve went out with a girl from russia who a violinist um about 10 years ago and she came to watch panto and didn't know what it was and was like, what? What is this? <laughs> what are the rules? Um, yeah, and we were trying to explain panto to her, and we found ourselves completely stumbling in terms of. We were like, well, there's men who dress as women, and they walk around, and then there's often a cake fight. And as you say it out loud, you think, oh yeah, this is just something that we've known all our lives. Yeah. And and she was like, what? And I always think, what did she? What did, what did she it look think like? watching? But he was in panto with <laughs> Paul Paul Nicholas, and we were in a, we were in Tunbridge Wells watching it. She was like, "What's going on?" I sort of think, you know, if you're encountering this stuff for the first time, you yeah. don't know the reference point. How do you absorb it if you don't know the original music? What is there to entice you? I think it's, it's yeah. I think it's that the, the music says, "Come in." There's nothing hard about it this. Does and because it's a mixture of stuff, because it opens with a song by the Bee Gees, it opens with a song that's incredibly Bee Geesy, written by Barry Gibb. <laughs> says this isn't you don't need to revise to get into this and what it's about because of those things like the cast are too old it's a bit camp it's larger than life it's a cartoon there's these big nursery rhyme simple songs what it says is what's important in this film is the characters what they're going through and the accessibility is this is about being kids at school on the verge of growing up pretending you're more grown up than you are there's a brilliant line where uh, where, where Rizzo and Kanicki are making out which might lead to the pregnancy. And when he pulls the condom out, he says, oh, I've had that since seventh grade. And you go, oh, so you're a virgin. Or, oh, you've been having loads of unsafe sex. If he's got old condoms, he was waiting for this moment. And he's the guy who's been acting really tough. And you go, oh, you're naive as well. Everyone who's a teenager is only pretending to be tough. And it makes you feel less alone. It's totally welcoming. It's an incredibly warming thing to be told. When you go and see the cool film about the cool guy with the cool quiff and the cool girls and the tough, smart-mouthed Rizzo character, that they're all vulnerable and they're all small. And I think that's what, when critics say it's simplistic or over-colourful or sugary, they're missing all of that, which is that it needs to be that because underneath it all it's telling you something quite important, which is vulnerability, that no one is as cool as, as they act. 
what a thing to tell kids. It's a really valuable lesson. But then Sadie isn't acting and then she becomes cool. I find her transformation really interesting. Sandy. Yeah, sorry, say, uh, Sandy, not Sadie. Yeah, Sadie, that's the, that's the other version. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, In Sandy. the original Broadway, it was Sadie. Yeah, yeah I'm not very, very Sadie, Yeah, I don't know if you remember in the original script. Some of you probably <laughs> haven't seen it. But, yeah. um, <laughs> um, Sandy isn't acting. Uh, yeah. She's herself. And yes. they're all acting. Yeah. And then they reveal their vulnerable sides, but they're sort of like, oh, well, you know, this is who we are. And she, she what? Becomes her true self? Or changes for him. Yeah, I'm not sure. At the end of it, what I like about it was as a kid, I went, oh, she's changed. I quite, because I quite liked her. I was a good kid. I quite, I didn't want to find out the good kid had to become a bad kid. Though yeah. it's a quite a, what a great message to tell kids. You go, do you know what might be good for you? Misbehave. Oh, yeah. God, because you never told that as a kid. So that's quite <laughs> a naughty thing. But also, I get the feeling that because Danny's really nice and Danny turns up in the Rydell, uh, like Jocks, Letter, Archie Comics uh, sweatshirt. So he's prepared to change and become, as he would have done in a classic 50s film, to, to become the guy that she wants to be, a guy she can take home to her parents. Because he's prepared to do that, you know he's not a thug. And so when she acts up for him, I think all it says is, I'm prepared to change. I don't think Sandy and he fly off, however, to death, to heaven, wherever they go at the end, <laughs> in the flying car. I don't think they fly off and she then stays that way. Yeah. I think she's just shown she's open to change. Oh, that's interesting. I always assumed that was it for her. she was stuck though with the wind changes on the way up <laughs> and that's it she's doomed she sticks into those trousers she can't take them off that's the, maybe yeah, that's well, she true was sewn into them yeah exactly <laughs> once you can you, never wash again but once, you're very cool <laughs> once your hair goes up to that degree <laughs> it can't come down again um i don't it, it's a, it's a very powerful message at the end that says that uh oh god maybe it's the thing that kids need to know certainly growing up when i thought about romance i thought what you'd do is you'd meet the perfect person and that that was a sort of a, a, a chance that you'd bump into them, which felt rather preposterous. Whereas an adult, what I know is you meet someone and then you change, both of you change. Mm. And maybe that's a quite an important thing to tell kids that don't stick in the mud, be prepared to adapt. And, and don't think that, yeah, don't look at, I think I used to just look at guys and think they're the perfect one if only they could realise it. Yeah, you need to educate them. Yeah. So it's about something I think that kids think about relationships and it, it depicts that quite clearly um, about he's not sure whether he can show his friends her because she, well, she's too goody, goody two shoes and mm. she's worried about him being rough. And what she, So everyone's worried about the appearances and their outside things and their allegiances to gangs and their allegiances to their bros or whatever uh, or, or their girls. And it turns out at the end that what you need to do is meet halfway, which is a thing that kids don't think is possible. You go, you'll reject everyone who isn't exactly right or you'll try and pine away after them and, and if they don't want you. Whereas this says, well, maybe you could meet halfway, which is, I think is a, a valuable thing. Again, a thing to tell kids, not necessarily a thing that grown-up and cynical critics want to hear who yeah. already know that. What's the value of Greece? Really important. <laughs> it's really catchy and it teaches you important things about romance. But let's begin with Grease, which is nothing more nor less than a very old-fashioned Hollywood musical and a very badly made one at that. I've got to read you, because this fascinated me, was some contemporary reviews of Grease. Oh, yes. Because yeah. when it came out, it was, it was a massive hit. It, was a, I think it cost $6 million and grossed $160 million in the first year. Do you think beating Superman. It beat Superman. It's massive. Do you think they expected it to be hit? Because I was reading about Dirty Dancing and they did it on a budget and were utterly overwhelmed with the success of it. I think it's the river. This one was, I think everyone involved in making it 
at the studio thought it was going to utterly fail. Hence, a six million budget was tiny for a. Uh, okay. It wasn't meant to be a massive. Hit. They're so, the stories I always love. Yeah, it's an underdog. They... You want it to be an underdog, don't you? So, yeah, it's an underdog film, and it's a huge hit, and it immediately annoys everyone who's who went through the fifties. It's not authentic. As a satire on the 50s, its customs and its social and sexual attitudes, Greece is very mild stuff indeed, and anyway, it has no sense of period at all. And they all keep banging on about how American graffiti is better, uh, like grumpy people always do when their films are hit. They, they find one they've seen. Pauline Kael, who's obviously the, uh, uh, the New Yorker's film critic, called it a Klotzberger, dismissing the entire film with one word she'd made up, which is good. The San Francisco Gate Chronicles Review, 1978. What is the audience for Greece? Well, what is the world moron population? Wow. Which is, I mean, it I'm didn't really get, happy to be a moron. Yeah, as in, you kind of go, I'm really glad I'm not you. And Actually, then, the Greek, that review does the thing that Greece does. It's like, let's be morons together. Yeah. I don't want to be like you. If yeah. you think that I'm a moron, I'm very, very happy. Yeah, not- these, these kids are the ones who've been very often written off by, yeah. by their, their teachers. They're the no-hopers. And he goes, yeah, we're the no-hoper gang. The New York Daily News said, Greece should really be covered on the obituary page. It has been made by nitwits who haven't the faintest idea what a camera is. The music is atrocious and the Newton John sounds like a tone-deaf cow and makes a screen debut that has all the charisma of rancid buttermilk. And at that point you go, you saw a different film because it's so angry. The response to Grease when it comes out is so angry. And you go, this is, if nothing else, I've grown up with this film knowing it was a friend, open, friendly, slightly camp and silly, Fun. And fun and lovable. Yeah. And they hated it. And I think it's brilliant that it that won. That last one is so angry. Yeah. They're furious because I think it's depicting their childhood mm. or that they think it should be depicting their childhood. And they're saying it's more complicated than that. It's all wrong. It's all, it's all glossy and it's for 70s kids. And you kind of want to go, yeah, because it wasn't for you. And I think we're back to a thing of going, I think it's for you. It obviously meant something for you. And it's, it's, for it to be one of the films you've seen twice. Yeah, exactly. It's made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you should have a book, films you should see twice before you die. It's got two films in it. Yeah, <laughs> Grease and Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Everything else goes in the bin. But I love the fact that it was so dismissed and so disliked. And yet now you look at it and go, it is such a puppy of a film. It is so happy to please, eager to delight you, and so open and welcoming for kids. It's a film about what it's like to be a grown-up and the things that might hit you as a grown-up. And it says, don't worry, you're going to be safe unless someone asks you to do a race in a car along Thunder Road. Yes, and that's actually a very short scene, isn't it? But I think it's quite important. Is that what you learn? Don't... Don't, absolutely. Don't go to a quarry. (laughs) and Be the one in the pink dress. Yeah. A bit far away, looking pensive. (laughs) (laughs) Which is an important lesson for us all to take. Uh, Izzy Sutty, thank you for bringing Greece. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Comfort Blanket was presented and produced by Joel Morris for the Cheese and Pickle family of podcasts. Find us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.